I, I, I never cut anything ever. Uh, I, I, I mean, sorry, my stuff. Yes. I, so I can cut all your words. Yeah. Cut me out. That's a gamification, right? So who, who speaks the most gets the more points. So, so cut out all my words. The, the, the editor. Yeah. The editor gets the win. Yes. We'll make it a, a JM special, you know? Oh boy. Welcome to the What's Your Baseline podcast. In this show, we talk about our experiences and lessons learned in enterprise architecture and business process management. What's Your Baseline is designed to be for everyone. Newbies who are just getting started with these topics, organizations who want to improve their EA and BPM groups and the value they get from it, as well as practitioners who want to get a different perspective and care about the discipline. Each episode will tackle different key topics, providing context, background, best practices, and stories from the road, inviting you to learn from our challenges and successes, and demonstrating key tools to help you set up your practice and get the most out of it. I'm your host, Roland Wolt, and I'm joined today by my co-host, J.M. Erlinson. Hey, J.M., how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Roland. It's a little bit rainy here in Toronto, where I'm based, but honestly, it was beautiful weather this whole weekend, and I'll take that for a nice spring walk. How have you been, my friend? We had a week of rain here in Northern Virginia, which really stank. And yesterday was really nice, but when I look outside, it's it's gray already, and it shall start to drizzle in about an hour, hour and a half. So <laughs> I hope that this is not the pattern that we have through summer and and i hope that the virginia summer comes soon well i hope everyone out there has got their really nice weather when they're listening to this episode and this episode is a little bit different i mean this is one of the episodes where you'll hear just roland and i wax poetic about a topic that we care about uh or know a little bit about want to have a conversation about (laughs) and roland you know this is a special one for me and probably a special one for you because a lot of times you and i agree you know, we go into the same principles, yeah. we have the same kind of background, the same kind of framework. And so when we think about a topic, we come to the same kind of conclusion and sort of detail it out. Today's conversation is a little bit different. I think we may disagree. I know. I know. I know. I know. You know, and so first of all, I didn't do my homework. Right. So I, I obviously I obviously read the outline of the episode, but I, I didn't read all those, even though I said I would do it. I didn't read all the sources that you put in there. Uh, because because I think what we see in this episode might be a generational conflict. And and I know you don't see it for those listeners, you know, who just listen to us, but I think I'm I'm about 18 years older than you are. You oh. know, so I'm an early, early oh. Gen Xer. Oh, Roland. Know? Listen, if you looked at just the profile pictures we have on the website, you'd never know the difference. Oh, I look so much better than you. Thank you, JM. I'm fully aware of that. But, uh, but well, t- today's conversation is about a topic that um, I think is coming up a lot. It has actually been coming up a lot um, for a while. It's not, it's not a new topic, but let's address the concept of gamification. And of course, our focus for gamification is going to ultimately pull into process and architecture because that's kind of mm-hmm. where we come from. But let's talk about gamification. Uh, and in any episode, we have the three section structure, the why, the how, and the value or examples. So let's start with the why. And to do that, with everything, we want to define terms. So I'll set out a little bit of, of sort of preamble for this to give you some idea of what gamification is. Um, and of course, we are welcoming anyone to give us feedback on this episode. As always, I'll put it out there as well. I am not a gamification expert. We are both process and architecture experts, Roland and I. But the research that I've done and the things that I've seen working or not working in practices around the world have given me a little bit of context into how this can work. But Jam. You're a gamer. I am. Right? I'm not. That's true. I'm not, you know, which might be uh, also the, the different times when we grew up. You know, I remember my, my, I had a console when I was a teenager. For those of you who are old enough, that was an Atari 2600, you know, oh, yeah. it had that plastic wood veneer thing on it and the cartridges that you put in and, and you could play Frogger and, and Pac-Man on it. Ooh, oh, I've know. heard of that. The uh, the, uh, <laughs> the the sage tales of the old technology. That's, I mean, to, to be fair, I started with uh, I think I started with an, an Amiga, and I played uh, Asteroids on it when I was very young. Broke the space key because that's how you mm-hmm. fired. Um, got got in a lot of trouble. Um, but it was it, that was a very early introduction of games. I was probably you know it was certainly less than ten. I was probably five or six um, when that when that was available. So. I'm not necessarily a digital native, 
as you know, we think of these the people who are born into a world where digital technology is part of an everyday life. So I'm not a digital native, but it was part of my early life. So I, I know mm-hmm. very little without some sort of digital technology being consumer available, whereas not quite the same for you. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. I remember, well, oh, I remember black and white TVs, believe it or not. You know, I remember rotary dial phones in our house, you know, so <laughs> uh, this, is a, this is a hard flashback from the 70s here. Um, but, but maybe to get to the topic, JM, talk to me. What is gamification? That's a great question. So there's, it's a broad term that generally refers to taking anything about work and adding core elements or mechanics from the world of gaming into your business practices, into your evaluations of things like performance, um, into your plans for engagement. I mean, all of this is really about increasing engagement with tasks increasing visibility and engagement with outcomes. Uh, so that, that, that's the, the general principle of, of what you're trying to do with gamification. Gamification okay. is also a very big business. So the methods and, and practices used have been a huge, huge center for consultants or for you know, specialized firms, for organizations, large companies to look at. Um, Doing a little research, it, it, it seems like it's going to grow by like $20 billion in the next couple of years, um, 27% uh, growth year over year. It's a huge industry focused on increasing engagement. That's a really important part. Um, you know, we, talk, we talk a lot about communications when I, I, I look at sort of, you know, supporting the growth of, an, of, in, of internal structures in an organization. What, what I want to do to make people feel happy, to, f- to feel empowered, passionate, and it's it's I thought it was really about communication. I think I've changed my language to it's about engagement. So that's partly communication mm-hmm. and that's partly making communication a two-way street. So instead of simply telling people something, you're giving people an offer for them to respond. Sometimes that involves actual communication, but sometimes that involves taking action that they feel will, will sort of uh, contribute to the success that they're being asked to show in the communication that, that you're giving them. So really, the point is about engagement. And the numbers that you just mentioned, those are North American numbers, right? Because when I think about our audience, about 60% uh, of our listeners are, are non uh, North Americans. So I'm pretty sure there will be lower numbers because typically, at least in Europe, it's like five years behind North America and everything. Well, I mean, if you think about five years behind, like I'm going to tell you a story from 2009, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to come at the very end. So to listen to a story from 2009, five years behind in 2009 was nine years ago. So that's a long time since gamification was, I mean, there's some early case studies of, of digital gamification in large organizations. That's a really long time. It's, things should have been developed by then. And so uh, even if the numbers aren't necessarily focused on, on non-North American markets, I, I think this is an interesting point. And also coming from Canada and you not coming from, from North America, coming from Germany, we have a little bit of a different perspective on this. I think that's going to help. Oh, true. Yeah. I want to quote a little bit of uh, a little stats. I mean, listen, if I'm going to do the research, I might as well quote the stats on folks. Um, and oh, go, go show off. Come on, go show off. <laughs> so I, I, found a, I found an interesting gamification at work survey by Talent LMS um, that found that um, 61% of the respondents um, that they were talking to received training with gamification. So on this, this survey, uh, it's not a huge survey, 900 participants, but a lot of people are using gamification for training. And the point here is that 89% of the people who, who found or we were using gamification found that that gamification made them feel more productive at work. 83% who received gamified training felt more motivated. So we are seeing, or these people are saying that gamification is working to make them feel more motivated and more engaged, particularly when they have to learn something or when they have to do their daily tasks and that organizations, I mean, 61% of those random participants are using gamification. So maybe you are, maybe you aren't. This will give you a good idea of, of what we think about it, or at least how some thoughts on it. And and actually, in my day job, you know, and, and those of you who follow me on LinkedIn and JM, I know you know this. We just launched our university, you know, our formal training program. We use elements of that as well. You know, you get your badges when you do a course. You can get a certification. You can share it on 
LinkedIn and, and all that wonderful stuff. Um, but tell me a little bit more about what, what are, well, gamification's elements, you know, because yeah. one thing is, yeah, badges and all that type of stuff, but I'm, I'm pretty sure there's also other things that uh, would qualify that maybe someone would not necessarily see as gamification. Yeah, sure. Well, what is a game, right? Let's talk about the, you know, the the basic element. What is a game at all? So generally, uh, not work. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> Although games and work have some overlap, and that commonality is what gamification looks to exploit. So games generally are composed of challenges, so a series of tasks or obstacles to overcome. It they're composed of rewards, so some benefit for overcoming those obstacles, reaching new levels. Um, levels themselves are an element of progression so people can see growth over time. And oftentimes games have either direct competition, so as an A or B, or ranking systems so you can see yourself relative to the rest of your gaming peers. So once again, challenges, rewards, progression, and competition. And those are Things you see in daily life at work. Now what we're doing is we're taking these and we're putting them into a system that is focused on engaging with the same inclinations you might use for your private time. So your, your out of work time where you might be playing games that work like that. You're using those things that look more familiar for you when you're engaging with work tasks that might bridge into the same thing. So challenges, provide rewards, create, you know, periodic rewards. So you're stimulating, you know, the, the centers of, of dopamine release when you get something for things. You can see growth so you feel like you're getting somewhere. You can see a ranking system so you understand your place. Like these are these are core elements of a lot of business as well. And that's one of the things that I, I hear a lot of people talking about in business. Um, so I want to talk about this idea of third space. Um, and this gamification kind of falls into that. So if you think about it, um, normally you have your work life which is the first space. And you might have your family life or your home life, the, the things you do with those, those you take care of. So that's your second space. A lot of people have been using this third space. This is, you know, you're now conceiving of it. This third space of your social time, time away, maybe away from your family, time with your friends, time alone, you know, that, that you're doing, playing games with people, maybe you meet on the internet or just having a good time as a relaxation, that third space. More and more, Companies are trying to recapture that that time, that third space time, to turn that into things they can use for productive work. I know that sounds kind of <laughs> nefarious, and it, in some ways it, it is because it is intruding on a part of the life that we previously would have had independent of work. But the way in which they're doing it, in some cases, can be pretty useful for a person to create social and emotional structures that they can rely on, um, one of which is creating a social space at work. So the concept of a work friend, right? That that's a that's a thing that is made to replace that third space of going out with your friend friends. I found this, I don't know, creepy, if you will. You know, I know. So the, the one thing that I'm wondering is just why? You know, why do we need to have this? Isn't it enough that you go to work and you get compensated for the work? You know, you took this job and and hopefully Hopefully you did enough research that you knew what you go into and shouldn't that be enough? Why do organizations want to capture other parts of your life? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think there's, there's two parts of this. Number one is that I think we have a war for top talent and that war can be won in a bunch of different ways. But the concept that I like to use, the word I like to use is currency. You are paying people with a currency. Now, is that currency dollars? Well, sometimes yes. And in fact, there are organizations that you will sell your time to for a price. And I know, I understand. I know Roland and I are coming from a, a place of intense privilege. I, I get that. And I'm, I don't forget that because we work at office jobs. We don't have the same sort of you know, labor, hourly labor for pay market that a lot of gig workers mm -hmm. do. And, you know, shout out much love to all the gig workers out there. I'm, I'm sorry you don't have the same privileges. And I really hope that someday we, we you do and 
we should all work towards that. But what I'll say is that, you know, if you're trying to pay people with currency in a, in a very competitive labor market, one of the things you can do is you can change the currency you pay them with. So a lot of people pay them people with perks. So whether or not it be medical benefits or whether or not it be extra leave time or free snacks in the break room or that sort of thing. But a perk you can also try and pay them with is social currency. So you create a cafe culture, you create an environment where people are encouraged to positively collaborate with each other, you create and you maintain lasting bonds between your employees. And so in that fight for talent, it's very much harder for someone to leave if they feel invested in the society of the company, the culture around them. You create almost like it's a cult, the first four letters of a culture, right? Yeah, I, I get this. I get this. You know, there's there's also whatever movies like The Ring and and all those other things talking about that. But um, the <laughs> yep. interesting the interesting question is to me that doesn't have anything to do with gamification. You know, I get the HR perks. You know, I get more leave. I get free food. I get whatever. Right, being being valued. But what do you do in, in, in all seriousness? I see things like leaderboards, you know, in that, that small accounting firm that I worked and also in the same firm that you and I worked a couple of years ago. We had that little leaderboard on who posts the most on social media about our organization. And you get five points for this and three points for that and, and whatnot. So why? You know, what do you have from being the top leader in that? Yeah. And let me, let me rephrase that. You could ask this think that a little bit forward, and I hope I don't steal your thunder for a little bit later. <laughs> um, you could see this, for example, gamification of sales. Yeah. Right. So you say, oh, who's the sales leader? Which, which happens? You know, you get that nice trip to Hawaii or Bali or wherever, right? The, that's a little perk when you made it to, to the club, right? But think about the opposite effect of it. Think about you working in an organization that has 10,000 salespeople. Right. So the chance that you become one of the top 10 is what, virtually zero, you know, and and what impact does that have on people? So so there's a there's a few different things. Um, I, I think that that's a, a very reasonable position to take. I also understand that societies are made up of wealthy and future wealthy people. That's the mentality that goes around. Am I rich? Mm -hmm. No, but I'm going to be. And I think that there is a lot of hero worship, idol worship of people who are the leaders. Yes, there are people who are going to be at the bottom of the leaderboard and they're really struggling. This is a blow to their, their self-worth or their self-identity. I get that. That happens. That's not positive. There's two things. Number one, a lot of organizations are, <laughs> they, they, they call those wanted departures. People who are at the bottom of the leaderboards who are unable to deliver on their promises, choosing to leave the company. That's actually a benefit to the company. It sounds terrible, but it is true. We both know that's the case. And number two is that if you're in the middle and you can see people who are winning and you can make friends with them, you can, you know, you can have a parasocial relationship with these people. You can feel aspirationally like you can always make it and you may never, never need to make it, but the motivation to be like them as a sort of, as a, as a, a mirror to your future self, that's not actually a bad thing there is a lot of motivation that goes into that and you know some say that coming in second place is more motivating to an employee than coming in first place and i would tend to agree um and th that's that asks the question why gamify anything that sounds like an always repeating never ending high school to me which well, is scary i mean but also sometimes companies want that they want that churn that drive that push for people to be at the top of the delivery game And here's where we, where we start to talk about gamification because gamification turns what could really be quite a negative experience into one that is shrouded by this, this element of gaming, which makes it feel more approachable than the harsh realities of corporate operations. So, JM, now that I, I played the party pooper here, <laughs> um, maybe we, we reframe uh, the conversation a little bit because I, I think there is some things around why one should put elements of, of games into the work, you know, and that the first thing that comes to mind is, is just like we said, you know, increase the employee engagement. Exactly. You know? there, there might be different, there might be different triggers for that. You know, that might be the generational thing. You know, somebody might 
be more motivated by being on top of the leaderboard. Somebody else might be more motivated by whatever showing perfection and, and, and whatnot, you know, what, however you will measure it. But uh, I think that's a good thing, you know, to get people engaged. Exactly. And, you know, there was a Spinify, one of the companies I was doing research through, um, said 70%, 72% of employees state that gamification inspires them to work harder. Right. And that's really employee engagement. That's something that that there's part of employee engagement. You want to gamify things so that people will work harder. That's just how it is. You want them to achieve the, the targets you have them set for them or break those targets that you have set for them so you can have them do more for you, increase the value of their labor. Which, by the way, and I'm pretty sure we'll talk later about this. Should those objectives be set by the firm or should they evolve organically? But we'll talk about that we'll later. We'll talk about baselining. <laughs> oh. Ooh, what's your baseline? Uh, but the other thing is, is also, uh, like you said before, you know, encourage more interaction with each other. Right. And yeah. I, I buy into this because especially in times like these where everybody or almost everybody in our privileged jobs, you know, works from home and, and people complain that they don't want to go back into office because it's so convenient, whatever, doing whatever you have to do at home. Right. I think we really have a lack of social interaction. Yeah. Right? And, and I found it, I found it very refreshing. Any time when I have the the opportunity, which increases more, to go to client side, or we just had our sales kickoff a couple of weeks ago, you know, just to see other people in person, right? And I think that can help um, increase that that interaction. I agree, and you know, I, I really very much believe in this idea of shared hardship, shared triumph as a great unifier. And when you have a game that you are trying to win together, you have a competitive situation, then I, I feel like it really glues people together. And that, that leads into the next one, which is really about making the mundane fun. Right? Blur the line between work mm -hmm. tasks and non-work personal motivation. Um, Herrick says, if it's fun, you'll do it better, which I, which I agree with. Um, and also games create ground rules so that people can break them. Right, they're meant to give people a, a constrained space. I mean, I, I, one of my uh, musical partners that I work with always says he loves to compose with guide rails or like a restriction on him, so that he can be inspired to do something brand new. Well, give people a constrained space, encourage creativity, help uh, in, like reward novel approaches, using people's creativity and innovation to. Beat the system like this. This gamification can help to inspire that kind of pattern of behavior, and that makes better things. Yeah, and you definitely see that also in, in architecture. You know, exactly. If you have a greenfield for everything, then everybody's looking for their latest toy. You know, oh, I always want to have this technology and that technology. But if you give people constraints. Uh, like, oh, we're implementing this ERP system or no, this is our integration software or whatever, whatever the constraint is, then they get a, a creative around that and, and hopefully come to better results. Exactly. And that, that's a question of why gamify process and architecture, right? So the, fir the first thing, you know, you talk about um, having better results, we can highlight and celebrate optimization. That's a, that's a really big, cool thing to do. Give people a space to celebrate their wins and, you know, competitive fashion. Uh, give them the ability to showcase how much better they're doing than the baseline or than even their peers. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, not necessarily everyone wants to be first, but, you know, people don't want to be last. So the other thing is you can create accountability without creating direct conflict. So you encourage quality and completeness in things like architecture documentation or in process optimization. We can see those in things like dashboards that will help us to do comparative analysis or, you know what, you don't even have to say anything. If it's visible, everyone's going to see it. Everyone's going to know about it. And people will generally try to shore up their shortcomings. I agree. The other thing is yeah, that we, I agree. we talk about best practice adoption. That's another thing in process in architecture, gamifying the, that to talk about best practice adoption. You know, I think about using things like process mining to understand compliance. Like, how are we adopting our best practices? Are we broadcasting our wins? Are we rebroadcasting things on company socials to talk about new practice or, or platform adoption? Are we driving engagement? Are we creating this idea of jealousy? One of the things that I think spreads good practices in an organization best is jealousy. Seeing other mm -hmm. 
you know, or other orgs, other business units performing really well, seeing them winning the game. Suddenly everyone else feels, oh, maybe I should actually think about doing this thing that I probably already should have been doing. And that, that can be really helpful, changing hearts and minds through, uh, with, without direct conflict. Right? I think that's a really, really important part. And process and architecture is certainly a great place to look at that for gamification. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And I know I will break the hearts of many, many listeners uh, when I talk to clients and say, hey, look, you need to show that um, by using your whatever process management or architecture activities, you made that project more successful, you know, be faster in delivery or getting better results. Or whatnot. Oh, yeah. And the, the comparison that I do is, and, and now comes the heartbreaking point, I said, nobody wants to play for the Cleveland Browns. Ooh. You know, everybody wants to play for for one of those better football teams. And I don't want to mention any of the 31 others uh, here, even though I have a preference. Um, but anyways, you know, it's like that there's a reason why they were called the factory of sadness. You know, they have some devoted fans, <laughs> but it's it's like, ugh, you know, and, and I think that can help, right? When you have that and it's, you have that, oh, I will show you attitude, you know, I can do better. I can imagine that this is really uh, motivating people. So that leads us to the end of this section. Hopefully you've understood a little bit of what what, what I think of at least as the why and Roland's uh, challenges along the way. But let's ask you, um, have you seen gamification happening in your organization from what we've talked about? Um, how has that been implemented? Um, and how has it worked for you? What are your thoughts on, on it? it? Was it helpful um, or was it harmful? Do you find yourself more engaged with gamification or do you find it uh, an impediment to work? We'll leave you for a few moments and come back with our second section, The How. Welcome back. And, and JM, obviously, now that we spoke about the why and, and maybe also the why not, you know, um, if you think that's a good idea for your organization to bring in more aspects of gamification, the, the ultimate question is obviously, how do you do this? Right. And I think JM, as, as I know, you have a couple of bullets in our, in our outline here um, that you would um, recommend for people who want to embed some gamification in their day-to-day work planning, objective setting, and all that type of stuff. So maybe you can enlighten us a little bit about that. Absolutely. And first, first a quick pitch for the show notes, because we're going to have a listing of all of our sources for this episode that we looked through to, to get this kind of information from. Please read them. These are not our all of our original ideas. This is just processing through some of the things we found in the industry, stuff that we thought was interesting. But let's talk about the gamifications. There will be a test afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and you get a batch. Oh, wow. You're, you're already <laughs> jumping onto that. Well, that is true. At the end of this episode, maybe we, maybe we should actually put on the website a little gamification. That sounds... A batch. Yeah, I love that a lot, actually. <laughs> um, but let's go through the first piece of the puzzle here. Remember, the first thing people love to forget in process and architecture is strategy strategy that's right so the first thing we're going to do is create a gamification strategy so there's a few components to it and you know once again don't need to take notes we'll list it out but here are some things that folks specializing in gamification and us think are important so the first thing you want to do is list the outcomes for the gamification of your tasks you want to figure out what kpi values you are actually looking to change so why do this for your organization? The next thing is you're going to connect those outcomes to behaviors that you think will change your stars. What moves the needle for you? And that's a really important part because you want to create games that will encourage those behaviors. So you need to figure out the behaviors to help you move the needle. Next is, remember we talked about challenge and reward. You need to list out the metrics that will help you identify when this behavior has been successfully 
demonstrated. We've talked about this in the podcast in a few different ways, like you don't measure the number of trainings, you measure the ability of the employee to do their job after the trainings, so mm-hmm. make sure the metrics are key to the behaviors you wish to observe. Next, and Roland alluded to this a little bit earlier, we want to establish baseline goals for each metric. Now, sure, you may need some help from a gamification expert or from industry knowledge or from, you know, performance monitoring over the past with your process mining or whatever, but you want an expected score on those metrics around those behaviors, and you need to understand how you will recognize when somebody or some team is excelling because you want to be able to recognize that, celebrate that, and reward that. Talking about rewards, you need to establish a reward structure for goal achievement. And this reward structure needs to be things that people actually want. Remember, gamification does exist in an ecosystem of of advancement in an organization, but is not necessarily designed to lead to advancement. The game itself has its own rewards. So build a reward structure of things people want. In Roland's previous example, where we we both were in the situation of social media posting and the reward structures, the reward structures gave you branded um, apparel that you could purchase using your points. If people want branded apparel, that's fantastic. If people don't want branded apparel, your game is going to fail because it has one piece missing, reward. So also be reactive. Your game is not one at a time. It is a living thing. If your rewards aren't landing, change your rewards. And the last piece of a gamification strategy is to build a communications plan. That's very important. First, how will you let the game people know about the game? Then how will you broadcast wins? How are you going to do this synchronously, as in through notification when somebody wins or has an excellent score, versus asynchronous self-service, as in a posted leaderboard that people can access at any time? So build your communications plan to make this game successful. And once you have all those pieces in place, you have a strategy, the first piece of your puzzle. Does that make sense, Roland? It does. It does. But like Mike Tyson says, you know, uh, every strategy ends the first time when you get punched into your mouth, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, they, or the plan, plan doesn't survive first contact with the enemy. I think that's, uh, that's the other one. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, that leads to the next question because Roland, you have alluded to this. Take me through what you've seen or what we might see as mechanics yeah. for games and everyday tasks. I know you've, you've been part of these. So there's a couple of things. So what I, what I seen, I mentioned it a couple of minutes ago. You know, with our university that we just started, we, we just do what most other learning vendors do. You know, you have badges and, and, uh, some areas you get titles and levels and whatever, right? And you can put in your avatars and, and all that stuff. So you buy it with the piece of software that, and, and you saw it, you said it earlier, right? It's learning, right? You buy it with learning management systems who have that as a part of, of it and they make it easy for people to share and to show off right uh the, the other thing that i've seen is and, and that's so funny uh, is collective achievements you know how far are we and i mentioned that in another uh podcast i was working with one of the big german telco companies and we migrated um accounts you know back in the day and we're talking in the 90s um the way how well, I can say Deutsche Telekom uh, <laughs> built people was you have one telephone, you got one invoice, right? Because that was the, the old school way of thinking. And then they said, no, we need to have a debitor um, construct because imagine you have a company like whatever Siemens, you know, that has tens of thousands of telephones. Um, do you want to have tens of thousands of letters being printed out and sent to Siemens and then have them pay or uh, which costs by the way they got a, a gracious 20 percent rebate Ooh. from their friends of deutsche oh, yeah. post you know so instead of one mark they paid 80 finish uh at, at that point in time so that was a that was quite a saving when you think about they have 40 million 40 million phones yeah right so now you do the math you cut out 20 percent of oh, it yeah. um but wouldn't it be better than if you would take those tens of thousands of siemens telephones and write one long invoice and even if you put in all the records behind it and you pay five marks or 10 marks for 
uh, a bigger envelope, you know, which is heavy and ship them to them. That's instant savings of whatever, 90% plus of your cost, you know? Oh yeah. So, so where, where did gamification come in here? Yes, that's exactly the point. What we did there is, um, in the, the lobby of the, uh, organization, we put in a big plastic tube, you know, a, a um, acrylic tube and we filled it with pebbles. So every mm-hmm. time you walked in, you could see the accomplishments, how many accounts have been migrated to the new system that allowed this thing, right? So that was basically the, the invisible, uh, collective leaderboard or however you want to call this, you know, it's a, it's a progress yeah. bar, like a, or like a, like a loading bar, things people are very familiar with. If you've ever had a game. Yeah, exactly. And then, then lastly, you also have, as we mentioned it in the first segment, you know, you have leaderboards and dashboards and sometimes you have the cut to say, Oh, JM, you won, you know, good job. You get Yay! whatever five, five funny points and now go and spend them on the corporate shop. Right. So you have these type of things as well. Yeah. And, and that's, those, those are some mechanics you might introduce to everyday tasks. So having those achievements, having those, those individual collective and competitive achievements, but then you want to reward, right? We talked about collective challenge, collective, um, collective effort. Now we want to give people things for it. So how, how do we actually make people feel like this was worth it playing this game or engaging with this new mechanic that is adjunct to your job, but focused on your tasks. Well, first and foremost, and this is something that I I've been spending the last year and a half really dedicating myself to as part of what I do, which is a public acknowledgement of expertise. Mm -hmm. Um, So giving people designations uh, internally, giving people, um, the ability to affect something like their, the way that their employee profile picture looks or having a title underneath their name. These are things that, that you can really be proud of. And, you know, that, that could be, you could also have something like a clink clink. You can have like a little piece of hardware that comes along with that. Um, which is, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, also, you can pay them. I mean, I mean, that's a, that's a, a really uh, cheaty way of doing it because remember we talked about currency, but one currency is cash. Um, but also du- there's direct and there's indirect compensation. So there's a bunch of you know, perks you might be able to give them things that would normally be, uh, given to either people in the organization of a higher, uh, level. Um, so for instance, uh, you know, people would have an extra week of vacation or people would have certain benefits or certain, uh, certain abilities to, to access resources within the organization that they might not have. Um, so the direct or indirect competent compensation. The other thing, a tip I, I, I got, which is something that came from one of the research firms was you, you really want to make the first goal. If you're going to have a series of goals, relatively easy to achieve and let people feel like they've made those quick wins and then increase the difficulty to reach each new level um, so that it ramps up rather than, you know, to get to level one, it will take you a huge amount of time and like half the year. Now make getting to level one a week, Mm. maybe getting to level four could take you six months. So that sounds to me a lot like Canadian capitalism, you know, being nice wow. to people while you squeeze <laughs> out the juice out of them. But no, I, I get it. Not it, juice, maple syrup, maple syrup. Uh, damn it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the Mounties will control that everything is done correctly. That's um, correct. But but the point is, I, I get it. You know, it's like in games, you know, when you get to the next level, it will be a little bit harder than the, the previous ones. Um, exactly. I think one thing when you de- when you design uh, your your game, if you will, right? Think about that this should not be a zero-sum game, right? There might be some aspects. At the end of the day, there might be a situation where you want to award the the 10 best people in there, but also reward collective uh, behavior as well, right? So look for a model that, that motivates people and empowers them, but also bring in uh, parts of it that, in, that in, enforces or encourages people to work with each other, right? So that they yeah. start thinking about, oh yeah, I'm part of a of a larger picture, or we have that shared triumph or whatever, right? So so draw a direct line between the personal success, your team's success, and the company's success. Absolutely. And actually, if I can give you a game example, because as I said, I'm a gamer. If anyone's played um Portal 2, 
which is a, a really amazing game, Portal 2, um, is a game where you must have two people to complete this game. Mm-hmm. You cannot complete it alone. And it's actually very clear. It, it outlines it like this. These tasks cannot be done on your own. You must have, you know, the the other robot to fire their portal gun that will allow you to go through these things. And the coordination of these two people is what is what makes the game, I would argue, for a lot of people, more than twice as fun, which is yeah. really cool. It, it has, has a reservoir of fun that is more than twice as large, which I think is really, it's like when you, are forced to work and you said you said the word enforced or, or forced but it's mm-hmm. not a bad thing when you're forced to work together with other people and you learn to rely on them for game tasks well guess what you might learn to rely on them for more crucial work tasks yeah if if, if this is the only takeaway from this episode i think jm and i despite all cultural generational and whatever disagreements that we might have i think we, we both <laughs> agree on that this should be one of the biggest things, you know? And, and I remember you told me a story that you lived in, uh, you worked in an organization a couple of years ago where you said, well, you want to change the structure, how people get to club, you know, and you didn't want to, whatever, have, have, um, the, the not so nice people, uh, being showcased. Yes. This is by the end. It's still PG, right? Uh, being <laughs> awarded to go to go to those fancy locations, but it should be a team player there. And and you, I think you got just smacked in the face. You know, like no, 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 not under my watch with that gentleman. Well, not not everyone embraces this, and that's I understand that. So, but but let, let's close this. Let's close that that part of it out. I mean, the other piece that uh, of tips and tricks that I really get, and I really like this one, is you want your best performing employees in the game to be given the tools to promote your game. (laughs) That's right. Give Mm -hmm. people, the winners, something to share online. A piece of reusable collateral, like a badge, or even like a signed letter, or a LinkedIn post from a senior leader mentioning them by name, to encourage self-sustaining growth through this game. As in, your winners encourage your next competitors to perform better remember we talked about before that 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 idol worship that you know people looking up to the future rich well make them very visibly wealthy and and with points or with money and inspire others to try and follow in their footsteps that's how you sustain it without having to continue to do the work on yourselves because this can be a lot of challenge from an engagement and communication perspective but what does this look like in process and architecture? Because we've seen a lot of these things. And also the, also the first thing I've seen a ton of. And yes, it, it, there's a lot of things you can do with specifically designed games that are focused on. I know, I know a lot of people use this for training. We'll talk about that in, a, in the last section. But in process and architecture, I see a ton of governance dashboards from mm-hmm. a change management perspective. How much work is being done? How long does it take on average to complete that work? How many outstanding requests do you have? So you think about people trying to get to, to inbox zero with governance requests and rewarding that behavior with a, a visible dashboard of outstanding requests or number of requests per day processed. That's amazing. Yeah, and that is that is typically the the meta process you know that the process of process or, or how yeah. do we work together you know but i think that's also something that's really more hands-on when you think about the content you know think about you mentioned it in in the first segment process mining right if you yeah. can establish um a friendly competition and you see me air quotes here right? a friendly competition <laughs> yeah. on who can uh, identify the most benefits in your operational processes, right? And then you get applauded for it or rewarded for it. I think that's a good thing, you know, or if you have, when we talk about more technical stuff, if you identify technical debt, if you identify holes in your technical capabilities that leads to rationalization efforts and all that type of stuff, right? It's the same thinking behind it to apply those principles of gaming, if you will, to the actual yeah. content, not just to the meta process that runs on top of it. I would agree. I also have seen some sort of gamification of content ownership. So mm-hmm. talking about how much does business unit X own and maintain? How many models do they have? How many artifacts do they have? 
What's the reuse of those artifacts across other parts of the business? So essentially, who is beholden to you for creating their their stuff? So you can see impact and, and exposure of your owned artifact and, and your architecture. Like who actually jumps in to the cold water pool? You know, yeah. you get appointed to be the application owner or the process owner or whatever, right? Sure. What is your level of engagement that you have? And how do you as an organization encourage this? You know, and, and sometimes you see that those people who burn for a topic, right? And, and even though they might be belittled once in a while, I think everybody has that little bit of envy and, and wants to say, Oh, yeah, I wish I would be like that. The other thing I, I see is there's two more things I wanted to go through here. Um, the, the other thing I see is this idea of subscribership. You know, everyone's on YouTube, everyone's on TikTok, everyone's on Insta or whatever. Like there are so mm -hmm. those those have an element of social gaming to them already, which is how big a following can you uh, acquire? Well, think about that same sort of social gaming in process and architecture. How many views, how many likes do you have? on your posts and updates how many shares do you have how many comments are on these particular things mm -hmm. you can see you can get you know see if your processes are getting ratioed like these sorts of things have a you can put visible dashboards around these things or those numbers start to stack up and you can see who's got the most following who's having the highest influence and impact on the organization and that's i think that's a cool metric to take and then the last thing i want to talk about is i've seen a few different process walkthrough based training games so people simulating processes essentially like or, or going through a training scenario of a process and simulating walking through it and playing a game with that and a game design or an app designed around the low code or no code version of this where they have to do it and then they get marked on completeness they or it's it's for a fictitious process that is fun or funny roland i know you love to make you have a process where you make pizza that's not mm -hmm. you know most people's jobs it's very specific people who whose job that is but everyone else it's not uh and it's you know that's a fun thing who can make the best pizza who can do that pizza making exercise the fastest and now i've trained on yeah. using my process and architecture tool or executing my process and so this process walkthrough you know version of a game those that can look really good on increasing the engagement increasing the buy-in increasing the training velocity and ultimately leading to better outcomes i i agree and it's it's the example that i gave i think it was was it the jihan episode you know where i put that little tiktok video in the in the show notes of the dad who made his kids write down the process to create a peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> um, yes and and I've seen besides that it's hilarious. I will have to see if I find it again and and link to it. But um, uh, I use that in uh, real life scenarios, you know. And and the the gist of it was well, we as a larger team need to define the interfaces and the handovers correctly because if UJM describe how to create a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know, and hand it over to me. That's not necessarily what I might read in those words. Exactly. Right? And that dad was, that dad was awesome. You know, his, his kids were very desperate, but it, it's, oh, yeah. anyway, I will link, I will link to, to it again. And that leads us to a question for everyone as we close this section out, um, is how do you design your games? If you design games, how do you increase collaboration between the different people who you've got working together on a problem? And what are you trying to accomplish ultimately? Uh, an organization that has a bunch of individual contributors uh, excelling at individual tasks, or are you trying to build a collaborative organization as a sort of overcoming together hardships in good spirit? And how do you build one, the other, or both at once when you look at building games? We'll come back with our last section, the value. The wind will blow but it's just changing It's just changing The wind will blow But it's just changing It's just changing The wind, the wind will blow But it's just changing 
And welcome back to our last section of today's show. And I hope, uh, and I, I was I just spoke with JM in the little break that we take between the different segments. I'm positively surprised that we don't disagree too much on things. <laughs> I did not expect that. So um, that was good. But This is a fun uh, game, Roland, where we get a chance to oh. work together to create a podcast episode. JM, you're playing games with me? <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but in all seriousness, I think... Um, even though I'm still not a hundred percent convinced, you know, I think it's kind of cheesy or, or, uh, childish to be yeah. quite honest. So to, to, to be fair, to implemented poorly, it can feel yeah. really tone deaf. Like yeah. I, I, yeah. I completely understand, but yeah. implemented well. There are some benefits, you know, so, and, and we mentioned it before. So maybe as, as, as a short summary, you know, I have like one, two, three, four, six, seven points in here. Um, that, that definitely can help, you know, so one, of them is, uh, is increase the employee engagement, you know, and, and company loyalty. You know, if you get valued by your organization, you, you might enjoy working for them, right? So what a, what a weird surprise, you know, during quite quitting and all that type of stuff. Or uh, the, the other thing that we just had as a question before the break, you know, you can increase team cohesion through putting the team into a collective struggle, right? And then obviously that leads to a collective triumph. Yeah. Right. And, and JM, maybe you have a couple of other things, you know, I yeah. counted it to seven. So look at our script and take the next one. <laughs> well, no, I, I think that, you know, when, when you look at um, training in particular, um, having it be interactive, um, interactive games, it, it keep employees better engaged, particularly in learning topics. So yeah. you're not just reading a script, you're having them participate in activities, you're having them participate in games in particular or gamifying that experience. They'll get more better, and, more, more education. They'll get better at things. Yeah. And think about it, you know, like, like games that are not just first person shooters, which I don't get why people play this, but think about games like Minecraft where, where people actually build stuff. You know, when you do your training exercises, start have them building on top of each other so yeah. that once you're done with your training, you look back and say, Oh, this is what I built. You know, I can do this. You know, I, I think that's that's a positive experience that you get. Yeah. Also, we, we live in a time of incredible employee data collection. That's a big topic, particularly in remote work. Employee data collection, a big euphemism. Let's mm -hmm. break through some of those um, doubts and people are a little people being a little concerned about that data, data collection and make it very visible. I know sometimes that's that feels like it might be a violation of privacy or a, you can anonymize it. It's fine. How, however you want to do it, but track the work progress through visible means, not through like monitoring dashboards of your employees. By exposing that, you help people first and foremost, understand where they actually sit. And secondly, give them incentives and give them a, a push to do even better competitively against their employee friends. And, and, and also, I think this, this might be even a better way than the annually uh, company happiness survey that oh, HR goodness, likes to yeah. send out, you know, where you have to score between one and five or whatever the number is. And, and if you give something worse than four, you know, everybody's raising questions and you have to justify why you think you're so bad or so good or what. It's, it's horrible. Yeah. This would mean you do this basically while you do the work, you know, so it, it feels more organic. And I think it's also better results to be quite honest, because that, that will show also uh, employee strengths and, and maybe weaknesses, right? You, you can see the individual progress and then you see, Hey, why, why are those, this type of guy shining? What do they do different than the others? Or why do those guys struggle? Right. Are there some systemic uh, problems that I have to solve? Right versus um, whatever, just cheerleading for the best. Yeah, it's also one of the big benefits is helping people uh, understand the value of certain activities and help them prioritize what actually contributes to value creation for the organization. Roland, you alluded it to earlier, but I, I think this is a really important phrase that I've heard and I've re repeated a ton of times. Employees need to understand and see an unbroken chain of influence between individual action and corporate outcome. And sometimes mm -hmm. that comes in the form of, you know, a, a employee value proposition that has, it's a bi-directional. So what, what do I give to you? What do you give to me? Or an employee deal. And sometimes that comes in the form of something innocuous like a game. 
hey, you did a series of things. And at the end, our EBITDA changed. And now the market perceives us as better and our, our share price increased. Like, if that's something that people are tracking and you feel very far away from it, using a game to help make that connection, that unbroken chain of influence can go a long way to the right kind of motivation driving the right kind of action. It's the ongoing thing. You know, you put elements in your day-to-day work, elements of gaming into your day-to-day work, and and you get then those results. And then maybe the last thing benefit is um, games, as everyone who has little kids or is a little kid at heart can uh, identify with, can be addictive, right? So what you what you might be able to do is you might encourage the right behavior. You might be able to establish habits in your organization of positive behavior that you would want to see. And I think that's also a, a benefit of uh having gamification. Exactly. But maybe JM, I, I know you did you did some research and, and again you mentioned in the first segment. We're gonna put all the links to the research that you did in the show notes. Hint 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 what's your baseline.com slash episode forty six. But as part of this, you found a couple of examples of gamification in that and maybe you can share those briefly so that uh, our listeners get some ideas of how other organizations have established their, I hate to say it, gaming culture, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, yeah, and I'm actually going to go chronologically forward with some examples. Um, and this is the, the first one comes from as, as early as 2009. So that's a long yeah, it's a long time ago from from where we're sitting here in 2023 um, at, at Hilton Garden Inn. Uh, so Hilton Garden Inn, I mean, if anyone's stayed at, at uh, Hilton, um, you understand that there's a lot of staff that need to be trained up. Um, in particular, those so staff need to have a, a, a keen focus on guest satisfaction. So those, that guest satisfaction can come from a bunch of different places. So housekeeping, food, beverages, engineering, maintenance, front desk. And in 2009, they rolled out with handheld gaming systems, the Sony PSP gaming system, the ultimate team play game. And that was all about giving their employees a virtual experience of doing what they would normally do for their job. So it would give a virtual experience or they would be prompted with questions or they would be able to interact with things they might have had to do as part of their gig. And they could get feedback and, and prizes from competing in this particular handheld game particularly well. And that, once again, it's as early as 2009, probably even before then, but this is a good example from 2009, where they were using games, specific digital technology games to as part of training, as part of ongoing sort of professional development, and with rewards for excellent performance that led to people performing better in their daily jobs. Yeah, and you, you basically collect collect also performance data. You do, right, you do. You make this too. So, so imagine what a weird thing, because I haven't seen that, a software vendor who by coincidence sells architecture or process management software. Imagine they would partner with a hardware firm. Oh, yeah. Right, and you buy a bunch of tablets like schools buy Chromebooks, you know, and Google makes a boatload of money on that and you put some administrative stuff behind it. Imagine you would have an offer and say, hey, I give you whatever, 500 tablets for price X and you get your instance of your process management system or whatever, right? And while using those things, you also collect data in the background. You know, you see how long does it actually take, you know, without the big process mining effort or whatever, right? But that would be also something people like to interact with, that physical piece of hardware. Absolutely. And if you feel like, hey, I'm playing a game, I'm doing a thing, but I'm actually invested in this. And then when you go back, quote unquote, back to work, you that, that those skills continue at the level you did when you were previously playing it in the game, which is really mm-hmm. kind of cool. Another cool, cool example of that a, f- a few years later is Coca-Cola. Um, so Coca-Cola FEMSA, F-E-M-S-A, I'm not certain if they, that's spelled, abbreviated in any way, but um, they used a game they called Pacific, um, a game for leadership. Uh, about how to manage a high-performance team, how to delegate tasks, how to give feedback, and how to motivate employees. So they used a, a, a little app, a game, um, to train their leadership or to reinforce leadership behaviors. Uh, and not only was it wildly popular, uh, 100% of 
their leaders completed the game. And 99% said they would recommend it. 100% said its contents were applicable in their day-to-day lives. So there was a huge, huge engagement from their leadership. But once again, the more important thing, Roland, did it affect things? And the surveys that they put out said it did. Employees gave better scores for their supervisors after their supervisors played that game, learned practices, and ultimately put those practices into action. And the organizational climate had a higher score as well. Um, over the years, I think they, they ran the game from 2015 to 2017. And over those years, things like significantly improved um, on organizational climate and supervisor action. That, that matters. And Coca-Cola is a pretty significant organization. Yeah, and I think this is an example of, of how you can spice up your training. Right. It's a soft skill training in this case. Right. And it's not just a, I don't know how that's in your organization, JM. We, we made fun. We, we have the annual, even though the topic is not fun, we have the annual harassment training, you know, and it was, <laughs> it, was it was, it was, it was, I, I've had a lot of fun with my annual harassment training, says Roland Volk. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, you know, it, it, I think it was announced as, oh, it takes two and a half hours. Right. Everyone. Everyone up to the CEO, you know, it, it took five, Right. you know, so people really became desperate and, and we're making jokes like about the harassment training and whatnot, you know, basically just to get the frustration out of our systems. So I think that this training simply failed, mm. you know, because everybody was more concerned around how the fact that you technically been lied to by, by the training provider you know it's twice as much the effort and and whatnot and you can't chicken out because it's mandatory right that's a bad example of of training while if you have something like the pacific game that motivates you and it's fun to do and and you enjoy it is is obviously a much better experience if you will than than what we had um, in our little example. Here. Yeah. And also, and you, you, you also want to make it transportable, not just don't lie to your employees and make it fun, but also make it very like transportable to everyone. And then the last example I have here is from PWC. So everyone knows PWC. And PWC, the game, was an interactive app-based trivia game um, that was used to help interns learn key digital skills and strategy of the firm. Um, and then they eventually had a live hosted 10 minute mobile trivia game. I don't know if anyone remembers HQ trivia. That was a, that was a, a show, like a, a app show, app based show that was happening. I remember back in the day, people could win cash. Well, this is a very much a, a crib off that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and they motivated employees with literally putting cash prizes up for people who could answer quickly about digital trends and strategic initiatives. If you think those are important things you want your employees to know. So if they're spending time learning that up, becoming more connected with our mission and vision, with our yeah. in, uh, our competitive advantage, with digital trends, you might be asked. If people are spending that time learning that and you give them like, I would say, not in pit, a pittance, but like not a significant amount of money in prizes for answering these trivia questions, right? You have gained an incredibly informed motivated and passionate workforce off of just a little bit like a 10 minute mobile trivia show. What a, what a fascinating thing. And PWC, one of the leaders decided to do it and then found it's a, the, the chief learning officer said very specifically, it's really helping to transform our people's digital skills. And, and just to have a real life example that I, that I uh, experienced by myself at KPMG, we had our version of Shark Tank. Oh, right. So, so the idea behind was this, you have the, the good idea and whatnot, and you had to pitch it to a committee, right? And, and if you have N teams participating in that, one or two might win, you know, and then they got funded and they could implement their idea. All right. I like that a lot. Put me on that Shark Tank. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid. Well, Roland, th- I, hopefully you've enjoyed this. And we, we, I think we've come to an, an interesting place of like, you, yeah, this might be valuable, but you got to do it right. So why don't you take us mm-hmm. through what you've heard, um, and then we will close out today's show. Well, I heard, and this is not a summary. I don't go through the, the bullets of our little script. But what I heard is obviously there's a wide um, amount of perspectives, you know, from, oh, gamification is like, meh, you know, it's childish, it's whatnot, up to a point where you embed it into your day-to-day work. 
And I think that is the, the key factor, right? And that could have different things, you know. It could be a part of um, that meta process that I mentioned, you know, the, the process of process, you know, you, you improve your uh, internal operations, if you will, but up, up to a point where you say, yeah, you actually generate value for uh, whatever, the project that you work on and, and whatnot, right? And the second thing is, which is a little bit hot pill for me to swallow, is uh, games are here to stay, <laughs> yeah. right? So it, it doesn't go away, you know, even even if I, as the, the old man on the show here, might say, oh, it's called work for a reason, you know, nobody said it's fun. Uh, I think there's some expectations, especially in, in a certain part of the workforce, that they just expect it to be entertaining, that they expect to have fun there. So above and beyond uh, having a purpose, which I think is still more important than fun. But anyways, you know, so so that's my takeaway from it, you know. So I, And on the other hand, it's super scary, and that might be your Canadian personality, J.M., we agree on it again. Damn, we have no uh, discrepancies here. <laughs> well, here, here's the thing. You know, I, I, I might be Canadian. I might come from the perspective of, of wishing people doing their best in, in like a collaborative fashion, helping each other do their best and using all this information for good. But we always say the caveat, like if you are a monitoring employee with employee data collection, there's always a risk. There's always, you know, people who are, who use that, that data to make, you know, decisions on retention. Mm-hmm. And we understand that, that hoping people do good for the right reason is all we can ask for. And if you're somebody out there designing for gamification, your goal is motivation first. And I, I hope your goal is motivation first, mm-hmm. because this is the kind of thing that's, that's quite dangerous. And, I, I'm I'm looking to try and make work fun, make work engaging, make people passionate about the things they do, and ultimately deliver value to the organization through human passion. And I think that's something we can really make happen when we do gamification right. And that brings us to the end of our show, friends. Thank you so much for listening along to us. And uh, maybe one day we'll come up with a what's your baseline, the game. <laughs> It'll be a lot of fun. But until then, you can find out lots of things about the show at our website, whatsyourbaseline.com, or specifically for this episode, whatsyourbaseline.com slash episode 46. Um, as always, please leave us a, a review or a rating on your podcatcher of choice. Hey, fun fact, those things work kind of like gamification is that they sort of filter up to the top the people who get the most ratings or the highest ratings so if you can help us with the game the algorithm game of podcasting that would be of great value to us and we're going to see you uh, in in two more weeks with some more fun some more what's your baseline some more Roland and I but until then friends I've been J.M. Erlinson and my name is Roland Volt we will see you in the next one <laughs>